0: If you wish to become a complete and wise leader, you must embrace a larger view of the force. Welcome everyone. My name is DeVore, and you are listening to episode 24 of A Larger View of the Force, a Star Wars podcast. A reminder, as always, if this is your first time listening, please go and check out the earlier episodes of this show. And make sure you subscribe so you keep up to date with new episodes as they come out. Also, go buy some merch. The link is in the episode description. Today's episode is our bad batch look back, which is a very fun phrase to say three times faster. And I'm super excited to have a terrific guest joining me to talk about the show's first season. She is one-seventh of followers of The Force, a brand ambassador for Takodana Trader, and the woman single-handedly responsible for my gorgeous Rebels phone case. Hannah, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thank you so much for having me. What an intro. That was like the sweetest thing ever. I'm like, oh, (laughs) you make me sound so much cooler than I actually am, which is like... Half my life is just spent yelling about clones on Twitter.
0: (laughs) Uh, Well, we we will talk about that and many other things. So before we get into the main topic of the episode, I wanted to ask you, as I ask every guest, to just talk a little bit about your journey into Star Wars. So how you became a fan, how that fandom evolved, how you got into content creating, things like that.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, so... I think like most people in the fandom, and there's been some exceptions of people I talked to, which is awesome. um, I don't really remember a time without Star Wars. I think my earliest memory was I was maybe two or three, and my parents, because they needed me to shut up, stop moving, or doing something, I don't know what. Either way, they plopped me down in front of a TV. and was like, here, watch this. And it was the original box set, of the original trilogy and that was like my first memory of star wars and so that was kind of how everything started i i'm the oldest of four siblings so like as my siblings got older we started introducing star wars to them so i got to experience it a lot of at a lot of different points in my life a couple of really cool things of note um my uncle was part of the 501st Legion. He had a full TK or the Stormtrooper oh, wow. kit. Yeah. And he, and if you Google Colts Trooper, he that is him. Like he had an Indianapolis Colts stormtrooper that was like blue and white and <laughs> like it was the coolest thing ever. So like I like I literally have Star Wars just like embedded into my like DNA. So it was just kind of things like that. And uh I think the biggest thing that kind of really kind of embraced my Star Wars love, fandom, whatever you want to call it, was the Clone Wars. I remember me and my family went to go watch it back in 2008 when it released. So at the time I was, what, 15, 16, something like that. And I rem- we all kind of walked out going, what was that? Like, we were very confused. But we're like, OK, there's a TV show. We're going to watch it. Cool. We'll get on with it. And the rest is history. It became a family tradition every Friday night when it was still on Cartoon Network. So that tells you a lot about how old I am. But we watched it. And I remember my youngest brother at the time was maybe like two or three. And if we did not get home from Friday night football games where me and my siblings were playing in the band. If we did not get home in time at nine o'clock to see the little fortune cookie at the beginning of every episode, we would have to rewatch it on Saturdays. And I mean, it was mandatory that we see this. <laughs> so it just kind of became something very uh, nostalgic for me. Very, very close to my heart. Very something I held very near and dear to me. And as we all got older as you do, I kind of stepped away from the Star Wars fandom, not because like I disliked it. I just, I was just busy with life, other things, college, school, things like that. But I think like a lot of people back in 2015, when the force awakens came out, it really kind of sparked my love for the fandom again, but I really didn't have the outlet or maybe the bravery To like content create get on the internet stuff like that like I really wasn't I I've never really been active on social media until about last year when as we all know the pandemic which is still ongoing um, but in the middle of the lockdown I remember that was when Clone Wars season seven ended and for me it was just it was it was incredibly powerful it was it would get it felt like the end of an era for me and. Just And I felt a little lost, to be quite honest. I was like, I don't – like, this is part of my life for almost 10 years. Like, what – like, who do I talk to? Like, what do I do about this? I'm miles away from my family now. Um, So I was just like, well, maybe, maybe I can get on the internet and see if anybody wants to talk about it. Turns out a lot of people really did. (laughs) So that was kind of how I stepped into Twitter – And then my Instagram kind of came about, and you called it content creating, which I think is just a really nice way of saying I just kind of post about whatever I feel like during the day and it happens to be about Star Wars. But it's just kind of grown so much from there. Um, And in ways I never could have imagined. I never could have imagined it within a year. I'm I'm a brand ambassador for Heather at Takodana Trader who is absolutely fantastic. I never would have imagined I have spent – money that shall not be numbered on beginning to build mandalorian armor and clone armor as a cosplay or, or just the amount of people i've been able to meet or even just getting to have this conversation with you about bad batch like i like things it's it's been wild and i've enjoyed every second of it so yeah
0: awesome so i'm curious so you talked about clone wars being like a particularly formative sort of moment in your fandom can you talk a little bit more about like how you got into clones in particular because that's like a that's like a particularly like fervent or devoted like subculture within the fandom so i'm curious like how you got onto that route
1: it was an accident i'm not i'm still not entirely sure how it happened um because I, initially, like when I watched Clone Wars, I, yeah, I thought like Rex was cool. I I really liked the clones in general and thought it was really cool that we got to see a lot of their personalities. But a lot of my focus at the time when I watched the show initially was like on Ahsoka, Obi-Wan, Anakin. Like I thought it was super cool. I think what really kind of flipped that, not flipped the switch uh, for me, but that's the best way I can describe it, was. I, I honestly think it was season seven. I was, cause it's so tragic. Like we all talk about the tragedy of the clone wars, but then you have that final shot in the snow of that broken helmet. And it's just like, this is what it was like. These people, these humans were just used and discarded for this one man's gain of power. And you got to know them over the course of 10 years. And it like, I I still can't watch victory and death without crying uncontrollably because it's just so, yeah. it's just so sad for me. Like you just feel all of these things about these characters. And so I, I started kind of just digging a little bit deeper into it and being like, okay, like, are there any books I can read? Is there anything like more to this? Cause I, I really kind of wanted to expand a little bit more of my knowledge. And I ended up, reading and i've talked about this way too many times on twitter as well um the republic commando series by karen travis and it's now legends but i think they're starting to creep some things back in but we're not going to talk about that yet but i that really kind of drove home for me like the humanity and the tragedy of the clones like it's it has it has its problems but overall the story and just the way that we see their perspective throughout the war really was just like, yep, okay, that's it. I'm just going to overanalyze and be really excited about anything clone related for the rest of my life, I think. <laughs>
0: <laughs> All right. So you brought up season seven of The Clone Wars. Mm-hmm. So I think that's actually a really good transition into talking about Bad Badge. So before we actually talk about Bad batch the show, I sort of wanted to get your both your kind of reactions to the bad batch arc that we got in season seven and then also what your reaction was when they announced the show
1: yeah so I haven't ag- been shy about saying this either, but I remember when it came out I'm like I was not excited I'm just gonna straight up say that i was I saw the Bad batch and I'm like. Why are we introducing these new characters? And I should have known. Like, dumb me should have known. They're going to do something with these guys. But at the time, I was just like, okay, I want to get to Order 66. I want to cry. I want to feel all the pain. I want to see Ahsoka again. Like, let's go. Let's go, y'all. So, but like, I was excited to see Rex. I was super surprised to see Echo again. So that was really cool. But like, for the Bad Batch as a group, I was just like, why are you here? Like, what are you doing? So, but they did kind of intrigue me in a way, kind of like how like the rest of the clones were like, who are these guys? They're kind of weird, but okay, they're here. So I was just like, okay, we'll we'll just kind of take them along for the ride. And then after all of that, and they announced the show, I was like, really? This is what we're going with after Clone Wars? Because I was still just so, like, like I said, I was just like all of the, like the decades I had wrapped up in the Clone Wars. And I was just like, I don't know if these characters that I really didn't care about are going to be able to have the same impact that the Clone Wars had on me, and i I just really wasn't excited about it, and then we had the Disney Investors Day, which was just like I'm still like trying to process half of it because it was such an overload of <laughs> information like it was it was a lot like yeah. it was so much, but they dropped that teaser trailer for the Bad batch, and I'm like, oh okay, I can get behind this. This is a story I kind of want to see. I kind of want to see happen. I kind of want to see where they can go with this. And then when they announced Omega on top of just the Bad Batch as a group, I was like, okay, we've never had a kid that young in Star Wars before. Let's do this and see what happens. So, and it obviously didn't disappoint.
0: Right. Yes. So, I... I think in both my, in, in both the way that I reacted to the Bad Batch arc and Clone Wars, and then also to the initial announcement of the show, I think I actually parallels yours in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, like, there was definitely ways in which that, like, that first, what is it, like, two-thirds of season seven really suffered, at least on the, like, first watch through, from the Siege of Mandalore impatience. Mm-hmm. that we were all just like, okay, this is good, but, like, Move on. Like,
1: let's go, let's go, let's go. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. You know, like, where's Ahsoka? Where's Maul? Where's all that?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I had like some amount of that watching the Bad Batch arc through the first time. I remember though, I have a distinct memory of like revisiting it when I went back to rewatch season seven, or maybe it was part of re-watching all of Clone Wars and getting through the Bad Batch arc and being like, this is a really fun arc. Mm-hmm. Like this is really, really good. And just really enjoying it much more now that like that impatience factor was no longer there. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with them in those initial episodes. I liked what it did for Rex also. And the way that like he had to, you know, face the costs of the war and everything that it did kind of for him psychologically about trying to process what the clone wars were. Mm -hmm. And then when we got the announcement that there was going to be a bad, bad show, I had also that initial reaction of like, really this like <laughs> of all the corners of the galaxy of all the things that people have talked about and want like a bad bad show like
1: really we should have known better we really should have yes
0: we really should have so yeah i had that reaction at first i was like well i'm gonna watch it because it's star wars so that changed though when we got that first like synopsis or whatever description and i learned that it was post order 66 Mm -hmm. as soon as we got that i was like okay now i'm interested now you got me because that had been on my star wars wish list for the longest time a post order 66 clone story really yes
1: okay
0: because it's like for the longest time we've just had this like two sentence like wikipedia entry explanation of like oh yeah the empire rose to power and then they phased out the clones and then they started recruits and then Mm -hmm. you get the stormtroopers and it's like but it's like there's millions of them but
1: like how did it happen
0: yeah i was i always i was always in a position of like well what happened to them Mm -hmm. like i wanted to know more Mm -hmm. than like what we had had so as soon as they because again when they first announced i thought like okay we're going back to clone wars and this is going to be like all the stuff that's happening in between like all the big stuff. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah. But once they said post order 66, I was like, okay, I'm sold. Like, I want to see this. And I think, you know, as we'll talk about, even just in this first season, I think that we've gotten a lot out of like learning more about like what that immediate, early months. It's very unclear how much time has
1: passed in this first season. Time is like, time is irrelevant in Star
0: Wars. Sure. Let's say months. Yeah. <laughs> like after the rise of the Empire. And like, <laughs> it's very unclear.
1: It is. It's like hyperspace. You get there when you get there. Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, but, you know, one of the things that I love about, What they're doing with the Bad Batch and how they're using them is when I was in grad school, there was something my advisor used to say about like picking research topics. And he had this phrase where he used to say, go small to go big. And the idea behind it was basically you pick a topic that is on its face rather narrow. You kind of like you kind of focus in on a certain time period or a certain group or a certain person or whatever, like a really thin slice in the past. But then you use that as a way to talk about all of these bigger things that are happening mm-hmm. at a much larger scale, larger sort of changes and developments and so on. And so I think what I like about what they're doing with Bad Batch, what they've done in the first season, what I'm sure they're going to do in the seasons beyond, is they're going small to go big. Mm-hmm. Rebels kind of does this, too, where like you focus on this one, in this case, you know, five clones. And... You use those five clones basically to tell this whole story about the early empire and what happens to how do we get from clone troopers to stormtroopers, mm-hmm. and how is the empire solidifying its power? Mm-hmm. And what happens to all of these different people and groups and such and throughout this transition? Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So. yeah, they're almost like to get into a little bit of math. They're almost like when you, they're like the pivot point whenever you have a protractor and, or is it the protractor or the compass, when you're drawing the circle, everything kind of revolves around them, but it's a small part of a bigger hole. Yeah. And I love I like that. Analogy. Yeah. And I like, yeah, yours is even better. I was just like math. That's where we're going with this.
0: <laughs> that is fine. <laughs> so yeah, let's actually get into talking about, The first season. So the structure of this, for those folks who've listened to the Mando season two episode that I did, the structure of this episode is going to be very similar in the sense that we're going to be breaking up the season and looking at sort of three big Star Wars themes that the show engages with. And so those themes that we're going to talk about, and we'll sort of talk about the show in the context of each of these, are stepping into a larger world, found family, and confronting darkness. So starting off with that first one, stepping into a larger world. So Bad Batch, like basically all Star Wars TV shows, is about a lot of things. It is invariably about much more than what it is initially advertised. We've seen this again and again. It happened with Rebels. It happened It happened with Mandalorian. <laughs> and so... But first and foremost, what the show is, is it's about a group of clones trying to find their way in the galaxy in the aftermath of Order 66. And basically up to the point that we kind of meet them at the beginning of the show, they'd really just been soldiers in the field of battle. Mm -hmm. And that had been sort of their entire purpose, their entire life had been combat. But then as we see at the very start and you know, with all the changes that happen in the galaxy with order 66 and the rise of the empire, now they are thrust into a wider galaxy and their identity sort of has to change from soldiers into something else. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that like really struck me about the show. And one of the things that I've liked about it is that, We don't actually have a ton of stories like this in Star Wars, which is to say that usually what happens in Star Wars is that when a character's sort of purpose ends, their story also ends. So once they've done whatever it is that they were put in the story to do, whatever role they were meant to fulfill, they usually either die, get killed, or they just kind of go off into the sunset and we don't really ever... See the end of their story.
1: Or we see them like right as they have their purpose, and we kind of go from there and we never kind of get those beginning steps.
0: Yeah. So, you know, with Bad Batch, what we're getting is like we have these characters who had this one particular role. They were (laughs) soldiers, and now we kind of strip that from them. And then we get to see them trying to figure out what they're going to do with themselves and who they are Mm -hmm. in the midst of all that. Mm And, you know, that's, that's how we get to see them kind of going into, you know, after they escape from Camino sort of trying to find their way and trying to survive. And that's a big part of that first season. Yeah. So, you know, I think there's, there's a couple of episodes that kind of deal with that. So we get, for instance, uh, the episode Cornered, mm-hmm. where, you know, they go on that supply run. So we see them, you know, all throughout the first season kind of doing all of these odd jobs to try and make money. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they come across Fennec Shand who's trying to capture Omega mm-hmm. and, you know, they have to sort of deal with that. And they're kind of coming into those those first contacts with the underworld, which obviously gets kind of fleshed out over the first season. Mm-hmm. And I think, like, one particular poignant moment in that episode that I really like and that I think, like, is one of those moments that's like the go small to go big is that whole little subplot involving Echo where he sort of pretends to be a droid so that he can then be sold for credits. Mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really interesting.
1: Yeah. That, that moment, I think a lot of people have kind of touched on and talked about just because it, it is, it's such a small moment. Like I think it starts, especially when they're in that marketplace and you see him holding this little clone trooper doll that he fixes for Omega. And there's just this little pause. And we know with 25 minute episodes, everything has to be deliberate your dialogue, your shots, like everything, because animation costs money. And you're trying to tell this story. And they want to tell this story in a really good way. And there's just this little pause where he's holding this clone trooper doll. And you're just like, and you know what he's thinking of. Like, I'm sure he's thinking of the 501st, he's thinking of Rex, his brothers. And just kind of everything that's led them to this point. And it, it's it's small, like you said, go small to go big. And it's kind of heartbreaking just because you're like, this broken clone trooper doll is a metaphor for everything that's happened to them so far. Excuse me. It's my throat. I'm not getting choked up, I swear. Just I was <laughs> losing my voice. <laughs> but, but I just think it's this lovely little metaphor. And I think to a certain extent... I, Echo is kind of that broken clone trooper doll. Like he he was a reg. He was an ARC trooper. He gets blown up and then gets captured by the techno union. And then obviously the bad bat to rescue him. And this is where he is now. But I think it's something that weighs heavy on his mind. And again, I'm hoping we get to explore more of that at some point. But yeah, there was this tiny little subplot. And then Hunter selling him for credits. Well, it was kind of funny because you're like, Are you siblings if you haven't tried to sell one another at one point or another? Like, have you not tried? And I love Echo standing up for himself saying, no, I am worth more than this. I'm a luxury. If you can afford, I am worth more than this. (laughs) So I, so I appreciate that humor coming out in him because it is, it's a very dry humor. I think that Echo has, he's got a very, very, very dry sense of humor, but I think underneath it, there's also kind of this bigger thing. And, I don't and we may talk about it a little bit more but in the episode Uncha- on rampage where they're captured by the Zygerians or they're having the discussion with uh, omega about slaves and kind of what the slave trade is and things like that and I find it interesting that echo is the one who is almost leading that charge of like hey we're going to free this kid like slavery is wrong this is why and I think it kind of sp- He's kind of the mouthpiece for all of the regs and kind of the larger role of the war as a whole, where in a sense, in the kindest way, maybe the not kindest way, the clones were essentially slaves to the Republic. Like they were created for one purpose, one purpose only. They had no other rights, things to things that made them human and it was only because of the jedi who saw them as human that they were able to have that individuality and in humanity and i think for echo that hits a lot it hits home a lot more closely just because the bad batch they kind of did their own thing they didn't have a jedi they reported to they didn't really they weren't really on like the front lines they kind of did these missions here and there to help serve the war obviously and the republic But they weren't part of a larger unit, kind of like the 501st or like working with like the Wolf Pack, things like that. So I think they had, to an extent, a a more narrow view of the war than maybe Echo did. So I think this whole, just like you said, this incredibly small interaction just has these huge ripple effects in how the batch kind of plays out the rest of the season.
0: Okay, yeah, you brought up a bunch of really good points in there. So first off, we'll, towards the end, we'll talk more about, like, our various, you know, wishes for, you know, season two (laughs) and beyond. But I do want to, at this moment, since you brought it up, I do want to, oh, God, I'm going to say, I do want to echo
1: something. (laughs) Is there an echo in here?
0: I I literally (laughs) just walked right into that. Like, I didn't even see it coming. God. It's been a long week.
1: (laughs) We're going to make it. It's going to be five. Yes.
0: But, um the point that you made about getting more echo because I do like, because so much of the show is about the clones and them figuring out their own identity and about belonging. And he's just such an interesting case as this basically sort of like Omega, this adopted bad batcher, Mm -hmm. like not part of the OG crew. So I would love for that to get explored more. And then sort of, as you're talking about like, him bringing in that perspective of the regs into the group mm-hmm. and how does that change maybe the way that they think about things and how, how they operate. So, yeah, I, that's definitely one of my hopes for post season one. Cause I don't think in season one, like I, like there wasn't a ton done with him. Mm-hmm. So I would love for him to like get more of his moments, maybe get like a full episode arc. That's kind of just about him. Mm-hmm. So there's that, uh, you know, your point that you made about, the way that the clones were sort of slaves of the Republic. Like, I always, and, you know, the sort of, you know, the way that, you know, Echo you know, pretending to be a droid and such, like, I always go back to that Lama Sioux line in Attack of the Clones. You will find they are immensely superior to droids. Mm-hmm. Like, there has always been that, like, there was this conceit at the outset that, like, oh, there's this big difference between the droids who are just these machines, these things. Mm-hmm. And then these clones. And that these are sort of a superior brand of soldier. And then things that, you know, what we get in Clone Wars and what we get in Revenge of the Sith and what we get in this particular case in Bad Batch is always about sort of negotiating that line mm-hmm. about just how different. And there's another episode that we'll talk about just in a few minutes that where there's a little bit of that happening, too.
1: Right.
0: Yeah, I think there, there's a lot going on with Echo. I think he is... I think he's very much this kind of lens, this conduit for exploring a lot of things about the clones and their own identity and all that. And I hope get more gets done with that 100%. as the show moves forward. 100%. Yeah. And I love that point that you made about Rampage also, um, about the way that he sort of plays that role in kind of emphasizing the need to, you know, fight against the slavers. I think it's mm-hmm. a really good point. So um, since we are talking about clones and droids just now, I think that's actually a good way to get into talking a little bit about decommissioned. So mm. so we get that episode where they have the mission where they have to go get the head of the tactical droid mm. from the scrap factory, and you know, there's a couple really kind of interesting things that happen in that episode. So first, on the one hand, you know, we get the return of the Martez sisters. Boop, boop who we don't totally know exactly like what they're up to, but there's the sort of implication. Cause again, we, we see them you know, connected with Rex a little bit later that maybe they're working for the kind of early proto rebellion possibly. Mm-hmm. And what I like about their use in this show and of course like with martez sisters and with a bunch of other characters like there's the whole they always you know united the whole conversation about like cameos and returning characters and like that whole discourse which just feels like sisyphus's boulder like we just doomed <sighs> to like we push it up and then it's going to come back down and we'll just do it over and over to the end of time <sighs> yeah so but what i like about them and this is something for regular listeners will have know that I harp on this like seemingly every other episode, but like there's a notion that I like of mirror characters. So basically like characters whose role in the story is to reflect some aspect of our main characters back at them. Mm -hmm. And so in the case of the Martez sisters, I think what's interesting with them is that like we get to see them sort of post season seven and we see the way that they've sort of changed after their experience with Ahsoka where like they had a certain set of goals and purpose and the way that they were living their life before that. Then they meet Ahsoka and they go through all of those experiences. And now we see them on the other end and they've changed and they're doing something else, which like very much mirrors what the bad batch are having to do.
1: Yeah. And they, and they challenge them on that, which I think is really, which I found really interesting when I watched that episode because they're like, well, you're doing all of this. You don't know who you're giving this thing to. You don't know why you're giving it to. And at this point, still the batch is still trying to find their footing. And they're just like, we're just doing this to survive right now. And that's exactly what Trace and Rafa were doing when Ahsoka met them. Like everything they were doing, like uh, their deals with the, uh, I can't remember his name, with the really sleazy <laughs> underboss, crime lord, mm-hmm. whoever he was. I can't remember off the top of my head right now. But I mean, that's essentially what the Bad Batch is doing. They're just like, we're, we just, we're trying to survive. Like what, what, what other option is there? And they're like, Hey, there's something bigger out there that's happening like kind of wake up a little, like wake up and kind of see what's going on. And I love Hunter's line about, to be honest, things were simpler when we were just soldiers. And I think that was kind of a bit of a turning point for his character and the batch as a whole, where he's like, okay, like, what are my priorities now? And I think to an extent it had been Omega to this point, obviously. But I think also he started looking at the bigger picture of like, okay, are, are there going to be ramifications for this beyond simple survival? And I, and I think it was a good character. It was a good character growth moment for him when he gave them the tactical droid information, which we later find out goes to Rex, but he didn't know that at the time. But he he went on this instinct that it was the right thing to do. And I think that speaks to his character as well as hopefully getting the wheels turning in the fact of, well, maybe there's something more than just simple survival going on here.
0: Right. Yeah. No, that, That's a really good point about what is the larger cause, if any, that you're ultimately going to serve beyond just your own survival, which, again, is something that Star Wars is engaging with. So many of our heroes sort of deal with that, like trying to find something bigger than themselves. So, yeah. And we'll, actually, we'll come back to like the, the, the mirror character notion in a sec because there are two other characters that I want to talk about in that context. But then also to sort of go back to what we were talking just a few minutes ago about clones and droids and the, that kind of dividing line them sort of reactivating those battle droids to use them to escape. (laughs) And, you know, that moment where, you know, they plug in through the tactical droid, the order to like fire on the security droid. And then you get those battle droids that are saying orders are orders.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: Yeah, that's, that's again, that's one of those little moments that's like, okay, like how different are they? Good soldiers follow orders. Yeah, good soldiers follow orders. And, like, you could even think about that, like, in some ways echoed with, echoed.
1: <laughs> oh. We're just have all the echo jokes. We're so sorry.
0: All of them. Yeah. <laughs> uh. oh. um. But that Hunter line that you just mentioned about, like, things were easier when we were just soldiers. Like, that notion of, like, the simplicity of just following orders mm-hmm. and not questioning things. Mm-hmm. Versus now when they are in the larger galaxy and they're having to make decisions about who's good, who's bad, whose interests are we serving, whose agenda are we fulfilling. And
1: where do we want to be in all of this? It's, yeah.
0: Yeah, there is a certain ease. There is a certain simplicity in being the automaton who just follow orders.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that was something that was big, had been beginning to explore in clone wars as well i think i the one that really comes to mind obviously is everyone's favorite uh the ambara arc mm-hmm. where you really where especially uh fives you see him going like we are not just a bunch of unthinking droids like we don't just follow orders to follow them especially when it's going to get us killed
0: and, exactly. and
1: I love how they're starting to expound upon that a little bit more. Cause again, it goes back to the fact that the batch have have had to this extent, to this point that we see them, a very, it seems like a very narrow view of the war. Like they come in, they blow things up, they get the job done, and they leave, and they don't really see those ramifications, the personal ramifications of the war and the actions that they that they either indirectly or directly help with. And I think this is kind of one of those times where it's like, oh, we, our actions have consequences beyond simple pew pews and blowing things up.
0: Oh, yeah, that's a, that's a really good point. It makes me think of, it makes me think of that scene in. Oh, I'm blanking. Oh, it's in it's in Reunion. That's in the that episode. That scene between Omega and Tech on the bridge of the Star Destroyer, mm-hmm. where she's asking him like like, what was the war like? And then he was like, it was a, I can't remember the exact phrase. I don't ever read that one. It was like, it it was a primary mission objective consisting of like, (laughs) of like missions in different fields. And she's like, but what was it like? And like, I just told you. Yeah. And like that sort of, some of that is like tech being tech, Mm -hmm. but then I think it does also speak a little bit to what you were saying about like maybe how the bad batch was sort of looking at the war more generally as this series of objectives and missions.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I would agree with that. I think maybe, maybe Hunter or Wrecker maybe would have given a little bit more to that. But yeah, I think to that extent, they, again, up to the point of the show, they never really experienced a loss of a brother. Like as far as we know, it was always Crosshair, uh, Crosshair, Hunter, Tech, and Wrecker. It was those four. They went on missions together. They they never had to experience their their brothers, the clones, um, dying, fighting. They never shot one another again, going back to Anbara, like, cause it's just one of it's, it's one of those things where it's just you're watching it with just so much horror. Cause you're like, Oh my God, like this just happened. And they, that we know have never had to experience that. So now they're having to kind of reckon with that reality for the first time.
0: Yeah, Exactly. So we talked about the Martez sisters a little bit as these characters who sort of reflect something of the Bad Batch back at them. I want to talk about in this particular section of the show, talk about two others that I think also kind of play that role. And those are two of the other clones that we meet in the show. And I'm talking, of course, here about Cut and Rex. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get to see Cut in the second episode in Cut and Run. And what I like about his inclusion here in this story, and particularly like not just that he's included, but like the moment at which he is included, which is sort of the very first person really they go to, mm-hmm. is that he does here for the Bad Batch what he did basically in his original appearance in the Clone Wars in The Deserter, which is he shows this alternate possibility for the clones. Mm-hmm. And he's this reminder of their agency.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And like just this you, you mentioned the you know the the infamous line a few minutes ago about like good soldiers follow orders. Mm-hmm. And then like Cut is here standing here as this person who basically is saying, like, you don't have to.
1: <laughs> no, he's
0: way ahead of You're the lit- curve. <laughs> yeah, like Cut is there saying, like, you can literally just walk away. Mm-hmm. Like that is an option. And the way that he kind of for the bad batch and we'll talk in a few minutes when we get to the found family section about like what he sort of gives there about like parents and children and all of that. Mm -hmm. But I think like, he's really interesting there as like showing this potential route that the bad batch can go, which is like, yeah, maybe like, maybe you go on fighting, maybe like you commit yourself to this or that cause like, or maybe you just like go to some farm and like you live out your life.
1: Yeah. And yeah, be peaceful, be happy. And I think, it maybe doesn't mirror this, but it's a good, it's a flip side of this coin. And the two quotes that came to mind, cause like, I love cut, like I love mm-hmm. that future and the possibility that he presents to all of these clones, like the bad batch of like, this, this could be your life. Like this could be something different for you, but it makes me think of Echo's quote of like, we're soldiers. What other choice is there? And even crosshair at the end going, stop pretending to be something you're not. Oh. Like all, both of those are are very, just so in contrast to what Cut showed them, and I think it's it's really sad that Crosshair probably knew about Cut, but like he's like that's not he's like I'd, that's, I, that's that's not who I am. That's not what I want to be. And I wonder, out of that, which one is pretending to be something they're not? In this case, I really think it's Crosshair. But, yeah, both of those I think this is I think we've only stepped our toes into what a potential alternate future for this group looks like, and I think I'm under no <laughs> no realistic expectations that there is going to be a happy ending for any of this, <laughs> but i I like the thought of them making their own choice in this and throughout this show as opposed to everything being born of survival, desperation, or. I don't have a choice. I I love the fact that Cut's like, no, you have a choice, and you can either choose to keep taking care of Omega, you can choose to keep fighting, you can choose to do some combination of the two, but what matters in the end is that it is your choice.
0: Yeah, exactly. And uh, like we, we will come back to, as we get later on in the season, we're going to come back to that crosshair confrontation at the end, but I love that pull of that line <laughs> about stop pretending to be something you're not. That's, that's such a good connection back to Cut. Oh. Yeah. And, you know, the other thing that I want to emphasize about this or bring up in the context of this episode for this section. And of course, we'll come back to this episode in a few minutes. But, you know, if we're going to talk about the theme of, you know, stepping into a larger world, that moment where Omega steps out of the ship. Oh
1: my God. That was so cute.
0: Yeah. And she feels the dirt. Like that is. Oh, it was both just like an absolutely like sweet, wonderful moment. Mm-hmm. And we will talk more about Omega in a little bit. But also is again sort of emblematic of what the bad batch are doing which is that you know they're wandering into this larger galaxy mm-hmm. with which they don't have a lot of experience mm-hmm. and it's new when it's unfamiliar and you know there is on the one hand there is the you know, there are the dangers there are the threats that lurk everywhere but then there's all of this possibility mm-hmm. and i think that kind of is embodied in that omega moment uh,
1: absolutely yeah, I could watch that moment over and over again just for... <laughs> it's so cute. It's so wholesome.
0: Me too. And, yeah, so we talked about Cut, and then we have Rex. And so we get to see Rex in the episode Battle Scars, and we see that him, like the Martez sisters, is part of this kind of growing struggle against the Empire, the sort of early resistance. Mm-hmm. And... I really love in this particular context of what we're talking about here. I love that conversation that he and Hunter have at the end of the episode Mm -hmm. where they have, I wrote it down here. So I'm just going to like quote it at length because I think it's really, really good. I think it gets this whole thing that we've been talking about the last few minutes about identity and purpose and all that. So Hunter tells him, I figured you weren't out of the fight just yet. And then Rex replies, I spent my life defending the Republic. Can't stop now. The Republic's gone, Rex. Ah, not all of it. We're here. Others are out there, too. Your squad's skills would be a tremendous asset. Things aren't like before. Our priorities have shifted. So I've noticed. Omega needs us, and I have to do what's best for my squad. Which is what? I'm still figuring that out. I guess we all are. When you sort things out, let me know where you land. There is so much happening in just that extreme
1: Oh my god, there is. <laughs>
0: I love it. It's so packed, like so much of the themes of what the show is engaging with are just in those few lines. Yeah. And,
1: oh my god, yeah. I'm still trying to figure that out. And I think again, I'm gonna come back to this just over and over because it's just something that I feel is so true. Like yeah, the bad batch is part of Order Sixty Six. But they did not have to bury their brothers. They did not see what was done to the army, to the Jedi as a whole, like and Rex did. Like he almost shot his best friend, like Ahsoka. And I think that and realizing kind of everything that happened, like with fives and experiencing what happened with fives, because I'm sure he remembered that. I think that. Really solidified his purpose and I guess calling to this early stages of rebellion. Like he knew what he was fighting against and what he was fighting for. And I think, again, I agree that Hunter at this point in time is still like, I'm. I still I don't really know still what we're fighting for. All I know is that we just had brain surgery and I'm still a little confused <laughs> as to why why we even needed to have it in the first place. Like, I think he gets the idea that there's something bigger going on, but it hasn't become personal for him yet. And for Rex, this is personal. And I'll kind of I'll touch on it a little bit later about why now I think the batch is gonna make it personal.
0: Right. Uh, that's that's a really good point that, yeah, it is personal for Rex mm. in a way that it isn't yet for the Batchers, mm-hmm. but it ultimately may be as we move forward. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's sort of one big part of that first season is that that experience of watching the Bad Batch sort of grow out of or basically being forced out of their smaller roles as soldiers in a war and then getting thrust into this larger galaxy And both having to figure out how to survive all that, encountering all of these different elements of the galaxy. You know, there are other episodes that, you know, we haven't touched on here. So like an episode like Bounty Lost, where we get Cad Bane and Fennec. Mm -hmm. So we get a little bit of the whole Bounty Hunter side. You get like the whole episode like Infested, where you get Rio Durand and the Pikes and all of that
1: Mm -hmm.
0: element. So we get to see him sort of, experience all of those other elements of the galaxy. And then sort of in that process, they're going to have, they're having to kind of face these questions about who they are, what direction do they want to go and whether they are just going to be sort of trying to eke out an existence and, you know, do what's best for themselves or if they're going to want to eventually sort of what Rex wants them to do or what he has in mind when he's talking to Hunter in that scene, which is, use their skills and their assets to serve a kind of larger cause or goal. Ooh. So that's, that's one big element to that first season. The second element that we're going to move on to, to talking about the second big star Wars theme in the first season is found family. <laughs> and so if we go all the way to the beginning of the season, we go to the episode of aftermath. There's a bunch of things that happened in that episode. So What we find when the Bad Batch get back to Camino is we sort of discover that, and you sort of alluded to this and talked about this a few minutes ago, the way in which the Bad Batch are sort of these outcasts among the other clones, Mm -hmm. that they don't really fit and belong, you know, in part, probably a large measure because of their enhancements that they do kind of stick out. You know, we get that. (laughs) The sad Batch. The sad Batch (laughs) scene. Yes, the cafeteria scene. (laughs) (laughs) When they're all kind of sitting by themselves and all the other, like the regs kind of look down on them Mm -hmm. and sort of see them as these freaks who are sitting over there. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we get that. And then, of course, we get the introduction of Omega. (laughs) And, you know, like them, she's also an enhanced clone. And therefore, she's also kind of an outcast. She stands out in all sorts of different ways and then sort of go back to that <laughs> to the cafeteria when she like <laughs> comes over to sit with them like and the whole like can you sit with us thing happens.
1: Is, is that allowed it, it, it had such a, a pseudo reverse mean girls vibe of yes. like can you sit with us you can sit with us okay this is weird what do we do <laughs> Gina you're wearing
0: sweatpants
1: it's Monday so so that's against the rules, and you can't sit with us.
0: Yes, exactly. The and then, Yeah, it's so good. Yeah, and the way that they sort of immediately, like, develop this bond and, like, the whole food fight scene. Oh, my God. Scene, the way that they're immediately kind of sticking up for each other. Mm-hmm. That's really great. And then, of course, as we know in that episode, the Bad Batch, on the one hand, gain a member in Omega, but they also lose one mm-hmm. in Crosshair, who is ultimately turned to the empire. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, kind of setting up what is going to be the whole big kind of major conflict over the course of the first season. So then, you know, moving into the episode after that cut and run, when we talk about found family, like there's a lot happening in that context in this episode. Like a lot of that episode is about what it means to be a parent. Mm -hmm. Because like, it's really interesting that like, the bad batch in relation to Omega and particularly I would say like all of them, but especially so Hunter in relation to Omega, like they have this weird kind of liminal space that they occupy where like they're all ostensibly like brothers. They're like siblings, but then they also have this kind of parental function Mm -hmm. and they're sort of occupying, they're kind of moving back and forth between those roles. I think like that's really interesting to see them kind of like figure that out.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. I, I think I've said it before, but like cut and run is one of my favorite episodes just for that, because it has those family elements and moments that are very reminiscent for me of the rebels, especially just kind of those small moments with these characters where you kind of get to see them embrace maybe a different perspective of living. And like uh, something cut said was she's after Omega was, like attacked by the Nexu, and like they all defended her and hunter understandably gets upset he's like what what were you doing like you could have been killed like what is going like what are you doing and then cut steps in and is like she's not a soldier hunter like calm down and you just see this moment on his on hunter's face where he's like oh i done did messed up Mm-hmm. like and the rest of the batch as well they're they're in this very awkward space still of like we don't know how to react in this situation we don't know what to do here and you kind of see it progress throughout the episode to the end where omega's like hey i know i'm not a soldier i've got a lot to learn but you don't have to get rid of me like i made my choice to come with you and i and i want to stay here and something i absolutely love about this show is the fact that it gives these characters moments to admit when they're wrong and to grow from that. And Mm -hmm. Hunter's like, yeah, I I messed up. I made a mistake too. We're going to learn together. And you see them throughout the course of the season doing that. They're learning from each other. Like Omega mimics Hunter, which we see in the first episode, and it's the best (laughs) thing I've ever watched. And then she, you kind of see her mimicking some of his other mannerisms, movements, and even kind of taking a very take-charge role at the end of the season when they're escaping from Camino, which I find really amazing and great for her character from where she started as this very timid, like wide-eyed girl of like, oh my god, these are my brothers, I'm so excited to meet them. It's like this hero worship. And I think to an extent, like she still does very much look up to them, but she's kind of grown into her own person by the end of the season. And then Hunter, we see him going from this very straightforward, keep everybody in line, herd the cats soldier to this, the softer side where he is trying, trying to understand and and, work with Omega and try like this new dynamic within the squad, especially since they did lose crosshair and that already shifted that dynamic. So yeah, it's just, it's one of those episodes that just has so many layers that have so many ramifications throughout the rest of the episode, uh, the rest of the season. And I think it was in a good way overall.
0: Yeah, no, you're totally right. Yeah. So you, you highlighted like a lot of the kind of important moments in that episode about, that early scene with like with the next Sue where there's a different reaction between Hunter and Cut towards what Omega is doing where Hunter is very reacts instinctively, very negatively, whereas you know, Cut is much more compassionate. And yeah, that line about she's not a soldier, like she's a kid, you have to treat her differently. I love this, the line that Sue has where she says children will always find ways of getting into trouble. <laughs> it's what they do. Protecting them is what we do. Mm-hmm. And yeah, sort of him getting that very first lesson in like what it means to occupy that parental role. Because again, like if we talk about, you know, stepping into a larger world, that's something that they have had no experience with Mm -hmm. at all is dealing with children or raising them or looking after them in any sort of way. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love the point that you brought up about Hunter at the end of the episode admitting when he's wrong. Like the fact that like he sort of, takes that to heart to some degree about that notion of like protecting children. And he thinks he's doing right in that way by having Omega go off with cut and sue. Mm-hmm. Like he's trying to implement that lesson, but then she's ultimately one to say like, no, like it's, you know, like don't just kind of leave me. I want to stay with you. And so like, he has to now like actually have that responsibility of mm-hmm. looking after her and making sure that she's okay. Okay. Mm-hmm.
1: And and I think we almost see this come full circle I think in if it was the episode Oh Bounty Lost I believe where Omega's finally reunited with the batch and the first thing Hunter does is like kneels down to her and says are you okay are you hurt. Oh. as opposed to like I know I was just like oh
0: that's a good point.
1: It like it just you just see that come full circle for him where he's like instead of being like like what why did you do that that was so reckless like you could have gotten yourself hurt da da, da, da da and they all would have been very valid points but his first instinct was to ask omega like are you hurt are you all right and then i i don't know i i saw that as soon as he did that i was like oh my god he took the lessons i love it i was so happy
0: oh that's such a good point oh i didn't even like clock that but yeah you're totally right yeah that's a great moment of illustrating that Mm. evolution that he has and sort of learning that role. Mm. And, you know, I think another great kind of stepping stone kind of in that journey is the episode replacements Mm -hmm. where you get that growing of that bond between Hunter and Omega when they go after the dragon Mm. and she has to rescue him and she's kind of mimicking and mirroring his tactics and, sort of learning from him. And then of course that adorable scene at the end of that episode, when she gets her own room oh my God. on the ship. <laughs> yes. um, yeah. That's yeah. I, I love that. It. It's, it's so sweet. Oh, it's and so
1: precious.
0: Yeah. It's just, it's one of those, again, those kind of like stepping stones of her getting kind of adopted and becoming a part mm-hmm. of this group.
1: Um, yeah, I th- yeah. I think that was, yeah. Like her true acceptance into the team of like, Okay. Yeah, you are part of the squad. Like you saved Hunter, you know, have a place to sleep, and some of it came about unintentionally because Hunter was like, "Dude, the kid doesn't even have a place to sleep, and you want to steal her food? Like, come on, man! Like, let's." <laughs> Hunter's trying to get everybody else on the same page. He is there. There may be a page and a half behind or something. I don't know, but I I love that, especially that wrecker kind of took took his own initiative to be like, "Hey, like." I want you to have, and he gave her Lula, which is just so sweet. Mm. And I love it because we saw in the first episode how much Lula meant to him. So I don't know. It was just one of those sweet moments where it's like, okay, like it has, it's, it's again, it's a sweet moment, but it has this bigger implication of like, okay, like we, we don't, we still don't really know what we're doing, but you're part of this squad now and we're going to treat you in that manner. So.
0: Right. And I hadn't even, oh, I didn't even think about it until you mentioned it just now. That moment in that same episode about the food where, like, he wants to take some from her and then Hunter's like, what are you doing?
1: <laughs> and she's just so um, sweet about it. She's like, yeah, you can have it. Like, you're hungry.
0: Yeah, like, th- like, that's, that's, again, one of those little moments of them having to learn how to relate to Omega differently than they might have related to any other clone or mm-hmm. to each other. Mm-hmm. Nah, absolutely. Oh, yeah. Oh, that's a, that's a good point to bring up. <laughs> and so, yeah. So, over the course of the season, we get to see that evolution of Omega and the rest of the Batch. And, you know, you made a great point about how by the end of the season, we get to see her starting to take much more of a kind of commanding role within the group and becoming much more of an equal as opposed to just being this, like, this ward that they have to look after. Mm-hmm. But then, of course, the other kind of big family dynamic running all the way through that season is how they're relating to Crosshair. And as like you've got on the one hand, on one spectrum, you've got Omega and like who is sort of the adopted member of the family and the whole process of kind of integrating her and sort of figuring out what her role is going to be. And then on the other end of the spectrum, you've got Crosshair as the sort of kind of fallen member of the family. Mm -hmm. The one who's kind of broken away, and them trying to figure out, like, how are they going to relate to him moving forward? How can they bring him back in? Can they bring him back Mm -hmm. in? And what that looks like. And those last two seasons of the episode, I think, have a great exploration of all of that. Yeah. So, you know, when we first go to Return to Camino, when we get that whole scene in the training room, that conversation between Hunter and Crosshair, where I really like getting to see some of Crosshair's side of, you know, how he's kind of perceiving the batch. Mm-hmm. And so we'll, we'll talk about the kind of aspect of that conversation about like the empire and like his kind of scheme to get them to join him. But the way that he sort of frames what happened At the beginning of the season as them abandoning him Mm -hmm. and him sort of feeling left behind. I don't have it written down, but he has that line when he's talking, I think, to the other, like, elite squad when he says, like, they don't leave their members behind. Not usual. Yeah. And so I think, like, getting to see both of those sides... Uh, you know, if this could get to another Star Wars theme about like truth from a certain point of view, <laughs> where like for the bad for the for the Batchers, for Hunter and the others, they look at Crosshair and saying, like, oh no, like he betrayed us, like he left us. He tried to Crosshair, kill us. Yeah, and then Crosshairs are there they're being like, No, you left me.
1: hmm Yeah, I oh, that that episode was just phenomenal on so many levels because it did. It highlighted so many different things that had happened throughout the season, this complicated relationship and this long relationship that Crosshair and the rest of the Bad Batch have with each other. And I think it really touches, I think, onto a real world thing to some degree of like, how many of us have been that Crosshair of a group? Like, sometimes you have to let people go make their own decisions but with the knowledge that you're going to be there for them if and when you come back, and to the person who's maybe the crosshair of the group, maybe it doesn't feel that way. Maybe it feels like you are being abandoned. And to an extent, there there was a lot of discourse on this. Like maybe the batch could have tried harder in certain extents to maybe get crosshair back and vice versa. Um, but at the end of the day, it it was both it was both of their faults. Like crosshair for kind of choosing this facade of power that he thinks he has right now with the empire and the batch for almost not, not abandoning him, but maybe not trying as hard as they could have to get one of their own back. Cause again, I think it was very, un- I think it's uncharted territory for both groups of like what, what what do we do now one of our own is shooting at us like trying to kill us like how do we handle this or in crosshair's case i'm trying to kill my brothers and it's just a very complicated question and i'm really glad they addressed it in the way that they did with not making hunter out to be this saint for deciding to do what he did or crosshair for being this straight villain for doing what he did but putting them both in this very morally gray complicated area that I think we're going to get to see more and more of as the empire continues to rise to power and the bad batch continues to either fight against it or survive within that framework.
0: Yeah, that's a really good point. I really like that they made that, that desire, that impulse for reunion being kind of a two way street where it's not just a situation of like the batch wants crosshair back, but he doesn't want anything to do with them. It's like they want him back. And from his perspective, he wants them back too. Mm -hmm. And so like the conflict between them is like, well, what does a reunion ultimately look like? Cause
1: right now it's a conflict of ideology and the way that they see what's happening around them. Cause I mean, like Hunter told Crosshair, he's like, Hey, like we've been out there in the real world. Like this is what is happening. Wake up. And Crosshair who's been on the inside of the empire to to this entire time is like, no, like this is for everyone's own good. Like I, and I think he's very much, I think Crosshair is a character who's very much right now stuck on his own power and the facade of power that he thinks he has. Because I think like, like we talked about earlier, like the bad batch has been considered a bunch of freaks since they were made. And I think to him, I think it struck a lot a home a lot more personally than the rest of them. And I think the fact now that he's able to have this control, able to have this power, and he's like, "I want, I want my family to not feel the way that I did, like feel helpless or like however he felt about the way they were treated," and it, it's just the fact that he's going about it in a very wrong way that has him butting heads with Hunter.
0: Yeah, and um, I mean not to dwell like too much or too long on the sort of real world analogies, but like everything that, you know, you were just talking about there, like it makes me think about like stories and accounts that you can read about like families where like a family member has like gone down the rabbit hole of like internet conspiracy theories. Mm -hmm. And it's like the struggle to like get the person back and, you know, the person having these very, this whole like ideology and whole notion about the way they think the world works and the other members of the family being like, dude, like you, like you're totally out of your mind. Yeah. Like, like wake up. Like Yeah. Wake up. Yeah. And like, there's so much, like so much of what happens at the end of that season between particularly Hunter and Crosshair, like is a kind of allegory for things that we see now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's all that stuff in return to Camino and there's so much more that we'll talk about in a little bit, but then we also get in, Camino lost in the season finale. There's a lot of like family stuff happening in this. (laughs) So much. Again. Yeah. Again, if we talk about like allegories and illusions, like I think about that tech line when they're like in the tunnel trying to get back to the ship, when he says, Understanding you does not mean that I agree with
1: you. Oh my God. We need to print that and just stick it everywhere. Stick (sighs) it everywhere in the fandom space, in the real world. Like, come on. Like,
0: yeah. Yeah. That is, like, that That was Tech having his, like, MVP moment of the season. <laughs> it's like, yes! <laughs> yeah. Like, that is such a, again, when we talk about, like, Star Wars speaking to universal truths and universal experiences, like, that aspect of, like, somebody that, like, you have a disagreement with and, like, you get where they're, you know, you get where they're coming from and you kind of empathize with them, but then you also have to be like, yeah, but I still don't, like, like, just because I understand where you're coming from or whatnot, or, like, why you're doing what you're doing or what why you believe what you believe. Like, that doesn't mean I necessarily, like, think it's okay. Right. Or, like, that I agree with you. Like, that is, yeah, that is a great moment. And then I think about, like, in that last scene with Hunter where he tells him, we want different things crosshair. That doesn't mean we have to be enemies. Mm. Like, yeah. Again, I think it's another powerful moment. Yeah. Where... And in some ways, like, the moral of, like, the kind of, like, ending of that, of that last scene when they kind of go off and leave Crosshair is that, like, sometimes, like, even if you consider someone family, like, at the end of the day, you may still have to let them go their own way. Mm -hmm. That like, you can try to, like, get them back or try to change their mind or try to persuade them. But there's a certain point in which you just have to be, like, all right. Yeah. You're still family. Like, but. You got to do your own thing. I got to do my own thing.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And Omega, and I I mean, Omega says it as well. She's like, you're still their brother crosshair and you're mine too. And I, it kind of pulls back to that almost found family. But in this case, it's a literal family. And I think that, yeah, just like you were saying, it's just like, you can still be family. You can disagree, but it doesn't mean I love you any less. Yeah. Yeah. And I, and I think that's something that I think Omega understands. And I think to a certain degree, the rest of the batch understands, but I think it's something that Crosshair is struggling to reconcile with. He's like, well, if you're not with me, then you're against me. It's a very black and white type of thinking. I think he's caught in right now, just because like we said, he's, he's, he has this (laughs) illusions of grandeur where, the empire is involved in his place in it. So I think that's going to be something that'll be interesting to explore again, further into this show.
0: Yeah. I even got that. You even get some of that vibe in that last scene Mm -hmm. in the season finale, where they're all kind of going off. They're going to go onto the ship and he's kind of standing there and his arms are folded and he's kind of looking at them. And you get that little bit of vibe of like, he's kind of like, he's, kind of starting to turn or he's kind of starting to see things in their point of view but then he's also just like very like obstinate and <laughs> just Like he's like he's made this like I, I i've dug in my heels like mm-hmm. i'm sticking to my position yeah now
1: i can't be wrong because then i'll look like an
0: idiot exactly yeah there's I i got those vibes watching that scene mm-hmm. where like there's a part of him that is feeling the pull back but then there is the kind of more dominant part of the moment where he's like well i've you know i've made my bed and this is where i'm i'm laying mm-hmm.
1: yeah no i completely agree with that
0: yeah so i'm looking forward to to seeing what they do with that kind of moving forward
1: mm-hmm.
0: so yeah so we've talked about found family and some of those aspects of in the first season so now moving into the third theme that comes through in this first season. And that is confronting darkness. (laughs) And so, you know, everything we've talked about so far with the batchers kind of going out into the galaxy and trying to find their place and adopt a new role and everything that is happening in terms of the family dynamics with Omega and Crosshair, the rise of the empire sort of overlays all of that. Mm -hmm. That is the kind of core plot of everything that is happening. And, you know, when we start off in the first episode in Aftermath, you know, that opens with yet another Order 66 scene where... It's
1: tradition at this point.
0: We must experience more pain.
1: (laughs) It's it's a tradition. We just experience this pain at least once a year. (laughs) Otherwise, it's not true Star Wars.
0: (laughs) Exactly. They're just going to keep giving us Order 66 (laughs) scenes until the end of time. Oh, God. I can't do it. And... What we get to see after that is that the Empire sort of moves very quickly to consolidate power. Mm-hmm. So as soon as the Bad Batch gets back on Camino, they're immediately like, things are different, like like shit's weird. <laughs> Yeah. Like they, they immediately get that vibe as soon as they land. They're like, oh, they're the, like the Coruscant guard are here and like they're carting away this dead body and like the regs are acting weird. And- <laughs>
1: yeah. And then we have to stand here for this weird speech with creepy old Palpatine.
0: Yeah. Like that scene where oh. you get to see that like the way that the clones have kind of changed and they're more robotic um, and they are like, need- cheering as Palpatine is giving the speech.
1: And even Tex says, you still don't think the regs are programmed?
0: Yeah, like, and they're standing there really awkwardly. Like, what's going on? They're like, what
1: the heck? Like, this is weird.
0: Yeah. And then we get the arrival of Tarkin on Kamino, Mm -hmm. and we get to see the kind of emergence of this tension between the Empire and the Kaminoans about clones versus recruits and, you know, what's the best option. And, you know, they're testing the bad batch. Mm -hmm. And that's when you get. You know, the experimenting on crosshair to sort of heighten his chip and then ultimately, you know, turn him into an obedient soldier. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, we even see that with the Batch being sent to Onderon to fight against mm-hmm. Saw. Like, what has it been? Like, again, time is weird in Star Wars. It's probably been less than two or three days. And the Empire's already like, all right, you got to go kill Saul Guerrera. He's already causing trouble. And I'm like, what? the heck like it was it surprised me as well when we were watching when i think we all were watching it how quickly the empire moved it was like order 66 we're gonna take power we're gonna start knocking any resistance that's already popped up out of the way and we're gonna knock out these obsolete clones and i'm just like holy mother chief palpatine does not mess around he had this planned
0: Right. Right. Totally. Yeah. That like there was a vision and they move very, very quickly yeah. to put all the pieces into play.
1: And something I think now that, now that we're talking about it, that really kind of disturbs me to a degree was how quickly other people were to help and accept this new way of things. Like I, we see it a little bit in replacements when they're, when we're kind of focusing on these four new Uh, soldiers that Rampart had recruited to be led by Crosshair when they're like, well, what did the Republic ever do for me? they didn't, the empire is giving me food, shelter. I'm getting paid. My family is going to get money. Like that's more than the Republic ever did for me. And I think that just little tiny, almost throwaway line was just like, Oh, that's how they did it.
0: Yeah. That's a very good point about like, what is the empire doing for certain people? Mm
1: -hmm.
0: Like what needs is it serving both kind of material needs, as you talked about in that case. And then possibly also we'll talk about this when we get back to crosshair at the end of the season about psychological needs Mm -hmm. that it's serving. But yeah, you're right to sort of bring up that episode replacements where, you know, we get to see the kind of first generation of, Recruits that are brought in, and then we get that really dark scene when they go to Andoran, and you have the one soldier who refuses to go along, and then Crosshair just shoots.
1: Him. Oh, that was dark. That was dark for a kids' show, man. I was like,
0: that was yeah. And then they just like massacre everybody else.
1: Yeah, That got that was dark.
0: Yeah, totally. And like even before that, you know, in cut, you know, going back to cut and run, we get like one of the subplots in there was the introduction of chain codes mm-hmm. and that's a big part and you know i love that line i think it's is it cut who says it where he says clones wanted names instead of numbers yet now people are signing up to be given numbers
1: oh is oh is echo which it, it's echo. which again i find super interesting that he's the one who's pointing this out because tech's like actually it's kind of smart and i'm like tech read the room this is not good <laughs> But yeah, no, I I did. I found that very interesting too. And I'm I'm glad we kind of got that little intro because like we've heard of chain codes, like the Mandalorian brought up chain codes and we're just like, okay, yeah, chain codes are part of Star Wars. But to see kind of how and why it was implemented and kind of what the Empire held over people's heads, in this case in Cut and Run, it was transport. Like you couldn't leave unless you had a chain code. It was, they... The empire plays this very interesting game of giving people what they need but also ho- withholding things that they need as well like in this case transport but they'll give food and water to these soldiers and money so it it's a very interesting psychological almost I think almost psychological game that they play with people and it's not right by any means but I think it really speaks to just kind of how jarring it was for the batch when everything kind of happened. Cause they're like, wait, what's a chain code? Like what's a, in this case a uh, war mantle, uh, what's a TK? Like what, like what is all of this? Our codes don't work anymore. Like what are, like, how are we adjusting to this and why is it happening?
0: Right. So. Exactly. And you know, when you were bringing up that point about, like the way that the empire kind of plays these games to get people to go along with them. We'll sort of talk about that more in a few minutes in the context of the kind of mini arc on Ryloth that we get mm-hmm. where like, I think that's really on full display there. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, something that I thought about not just in the context of you know, the introduction of chain codes here, but I think it also comes up kind of larger in the season. It sort of gets to some of the stuff that happens later. Like you were talking about with like the TKs and all that, is the show plays a lot with this theme about individuality and conformity. Mm -hmm. And I think it does it in like, it shows the shift in almost a kind of ironic fashion, which is to say that like, if you look at the clones, the clone troopers are ostensibly all the same. So they're all copies of Django Fett. But as we see in Clone Wars, and we see it a little bit in Bad Batch, they express their individuality in all sorts of ways. Mm -hmm. They give themselves names, they have tattoos, they have different hairstyles. They paint their armor in different ways. And what's interesting, and this is the kind of ironic part, is that it's the phasing out of clones that actually coincides with greater uniformity and homogeny. Mm-hmm. That you would think it's like, oh, it's like the clones, and they would all be kind of cookie cutter and the same. But we actually get to see the clones like being their own people in all sorts of ways. And then it's when they're gone, and then you get the recruits and the TKs that you all of a sudden get everybody's in white. You don't see anybody's faces. Nobody has names. They're all numbers. Mm -hmm. I I think that's really kind of interesting kind of like juxtaposition there.
1: Yeah, I know. I completely agree with that. And I, yeah, I'd be clapping right now if it wouldn't break the mic on accident. Because it is, it's so true. And I think we see this so clearly and it was so jarring when it happened was with Hauser. I had to bring up Hauser, you know, I had to, yes, yes. Um, because I remember when when watching that episode, and I see and I saw a clone with this teal blue armor, and I'm like, like your eyes are just immediately drawn to it, not only for the color, but because, like you said, up to this point, outside of the Bad Batch, everything was becoming very homogeneous, very stark, very much um, monochromatic, and to suddenly have this pop of color where you're like. Oh, like it just kicked you back into Clone Wars when we saw these clones have their individuality and their their, their minds weren't controlled by chips. And we're just, and you're just like, oh my god, I miss this so much. And also, there's a clone with his own individuality that's not part of the Bad Batch. Like, what is this? And I think he played such an important role in emphasizing that particular point that you just made. And it just, I don't know, I did, I I love that character so much for that reason
0: yeah you know what you know so, so long as we are now talking about the man with the finest hair in the grand army of he Republic, does like, yes <laughs> Let, let's just we can you know th- there's a few things before that we can circle back to but let's sort of talk about ryloth right now mm-hmm. since we're there we might as well but before we get into the ryloth arc, i wish you want to get back to something that you just said because it's something that like i i didn't think about, but as soon as you said it, I'm now realizing I had this experience of like when I watched it the first time, I also had the experience of seeing Hauser there in his armor. And just from seeing him in the OG clone armor with the painting and like his own colour and he's standing out, like I think I had in the moment a kind of psycho psychological reaction of like, this guy's different. Mm-hmm. I, and I don't think I even realized it until you said it just now yeah. <laughs> that, yeah, they were totally playing with that to just get the like, just have that kind of instinctual reaction. in you have basically before he even does or says anything of just the visual cue of he's different. Mm-hmm.
1: And you're immediately you immediately want to know why you're like, yeah. why? Like what makes him so different that his armor is still colored? Like, did he not have time, or is there some other reason? Yeah. Like, does he have a defective chip?
0: Yeah, and the fact that he keeps his helmet on. Yeah, also. took
1: off his helmet, and I'm like, oh, okay. <laughs> we are really we're very different now than everybody else that we've seen up to that point. Because even to like as as we kind of go through the episodes, like those TKs and the individual the squad that crosshair leads, like they don't remove their helmets after they put them on. It, again, it was just very stark and juxtapositioned against everything that we had seen outside of the bad batch, because we all know the bad batch kind of do their own thing and do whatever. But to have this reg do all of that as well outside, and again outside of even Rex, who doesn't have his chip. And we're immediately sitting there looking at Hauser, going, does he have his chip? If he does, why is he doing this? Like in in your just mind just races so much. And I think that's why people have had the reaction to him that they did.
0: Yeah, no, I, I totally agree with you. I think you're totally right there. And you know, we get to see all of these in in like in those two episodes, we get to see all of these characters, not just Hauser, but who are occupying this kind of precarious kind of middle ground mm-hmm. where you get like, one of the things I really liked about that arc is getting to see like Cham Syndulla in a totally new life. Oh, absolutely. Because like before this, when you had him in Clone Wars and then when you have him in Rebels, like he gets presented as this kind of principled freedom fighter. And he's like all about like a free Ryloth. And then you, but then you see him in those episodes and it's like, Oh, like he's like, he's negotiating. Like he's doing like, the kind of things that on their face, you would think he would look as kind of beneath him, which is the kind of petty bargaining and, you know, and kind of politicking with these Imperials.
1: Mm -hmm. And especially with one that he doesn't generally like with Ornfritas. And I, yeah, I found that very interesting as well, just with the fact that it almost speaks to another I think plan of Palpatine's in the and that also contributed to the rise of the empire. I think a lot of why people were doing this and kind of, Ch- and Chan does kind of touch on this a little bit. It's almost desperation that people want to believe the war's over. They want to believe that they can be safe again, that in this case, Hera can have a future that's not consumed by war and death and suffering. And I think when you get to that point of desperation, you'll kind of believe whatever you want, whatever you need to believe. So you can sleep at night, even if it means doing things that maybe go out of character for you. Whereas like with Cham to this point, he and Orn really hadn't gotten along all that well.
0: Yeah, totally. And then you you get to see all of the way that that kind of ripples through all these relationships where like, the split between Cham and Gobi Mm -hmm. where like he doesn't want to go along with any of this, the way that Hera kind of gets kind of caught in the middle of all this Mm -hmm. um, between like one, you know, the kind of parental and kind of familial kind of loyalty versus her actually wanting to be part of this resistance. Mm
1: -hmm. And I mean, even Eleni to a degree, she's, She's probably, she's a little bit closer to Gobi on the scale of like resisting the empire. And I mean, she even straight up tells Rampart, I've, I've seen how you treat your friends. I'd rather be your enemy, which I'm like, yes, queen, get them. Mm. Um, but you kind of, you, you do, you see these characters kind of starting to split and take sides in this conflict that is, that we know is only just beginning. And I think it's interesting seeing it from their point of view and then watching how the clones like Hauser, like the bad batch kind of see that and start getting involved whether or not they want to, in some cases, especially with the batch. And I think it did. I think that story arc did such a good job of that, of being like, Hey, this is, this is a lot bigger than just, just random people trying to take power. It's this whole big galactic issue that you're going to have to take sides on. Like there's this, it's very rapidly going to become a place where there's no middle ground.
0: Right. And we even see some of that reflected in the episode common ground where Mm -hmm. that's set on Raxus, where you have basically a former separatist world getting kind of brought back into the fold as it were into the empire. And you see some of that element of like picking sides. You get to see that with, I'm blanking on his name, but the Senator from Raxxas Mm -hmm. where he basically kind of wants to get into the fight. And then he's ultimately convinced to basically sort of like wait for another day, you know, for a better time. Mm -hmm. And I think like, you know, so much of what bad batch does is like playing with notions of old and new and change. And, you know, like what sort of become, the way that things are and characters having to sort of realize that the world is kind of shifting around them. Mm-hmm. And like, that's a big part of this episode where like they're forced to confront their feelings about the separatists. Cause they initially have a very negative reaction about taking on this mission. Mm-hmm. And ultimately kind of over the course of it, they sort of are made to realize that like those distinctions don't matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Spe- you know, like Republic separatists, like it, it's like the war is done. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there's a new war that's starting and a lot of different, uh, to use the military analogy, a lot of battle lines are being drawn, redrawn again. And again, Echo really stands out in this case as being the character who really makes that jump of, I don't want anything to do with the Separatists for legitimate reasons. The Separatists took him, tortured him, made him into a machine and got his brothers killed. Like, I'd be really salty too. And that's putting it mildly. But you see him at the end being like, hey, like, live to fight another day. Be ready to come back for your people when you can. But in the meantime, don't give up and keep fighting.
0: Right. Exactly. And then we get to see you know, another area where the Empire is starting to kind of consolidate its power and starting to kind of shift the way that it operates is – you know, we get into the episode War Mantle, where mm-hmm. we get to you know, get our introduction of the TK Troopers, and you know, basically the first generation Stormtroopers. I love those designs. Oh, love yes,
1: it. pulled straight from yeah. Ralph McQuarrie. I loved it.
0: Yeah, that that is a great pull. You know, we get to see. You know, they go to the planet of Darrow where they find the secret Imperial facility where you've got like the clone commandos who are training (laughs) these first gen stormtroopers. I know when you were talking about the Republic Commando books in the beginning, I was like, you're talking about Scorch.
1: I was (laughs) so, listen, when that episode came out, I was over the moon. I'm not going to lie. I lost my marbles that day. At like 4 a.m. It was wonderful on so many levels. But no, to to your point, I'm gonna get myself back on track before I go on a rant about Republic Commandos. But no, I really I liked seeing that because we get the like you said, we get the first TK troopers. We now know how they were trained, and I find it really funny that we now find out why they're such bad shots. <laughs> because the commandos were like no no we are the best we are going to stay the best we are not going to teach you how to shoot straight or fight correctly because uh no because
0: I, I thought that like <laughs> is, is gregor like the galen ursa
1: like, <laughs> <laughs> he
0: put the flaw in and it just got it replicated?
1: i think he was i was like shout out to the og gregor which i love but i also to the point of gregor i love His little line of like, if if you ask me the crazy ones, I'm probably going to misquote this, but the crazy ones are the ones who want to stay here, as opposed to try to get out like he was I I, whether or not he has this chip right now is irrelevant to the conversation. But I think it's interesting that he recognized, hey, we're getting replaced. I don't like this. I don't want to be a part of it. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to teach these guys how completely wrong how to shoot and fight and just be soldiers, but I'm also going to try to escape and I'm going to reach out to Rex because I know that he is, he can do something about this to some degree. So.
0: Right. And yeah, I'm really glad that you brought up that line. Cause I had it here in my notes from yes. Gregor about it. And again, it sort of goes back to that a little bit to that notion that I was talking about, about individuality and conformity of you know, the way it's like it's turning things on their head mm-hmm. where it's like, we're, Trained to look at the bad batch as the the quote unquote sort of defectives. Mm-hmm. But then it's like then you look at like the ones who are going along with it, like the other commanders who are part of the empire. And that's like, well, who's really like <laughs> yeah, defective? Yeah.
1: Here? Who's defective here? Not to pass judgment, but who's defective?
0: Right. Yeah. And you know, at the same time that all of that is happening in that episode, we get to see what's going on on Camino with basically the evacuation and progress we get that that scene that's like it's a very dark scene in my book which is the scene between nala say and the clone kids Mm -hmm. when like they're kind of walking down the hall and they're basically like asking her like oh like you know where are we going what's going on and she's like "Well, you're going to be you know you're going off to be trained to be soldiers I don't know what, if anything, they're going to do from that. But, like, I remember watching that and getting big vibes of, like, oh, like, we sent your dog to a farm upstate. Oh, my God. That's that's the energy I get from that scene. Like, where are these kids really going? Yeah, like,
1: what? Yeah, Oh, that. Well, yeah, that's dark. I don't want to think about that because I had the thought, oh, they're going to become the first purge troopers.
0: Oh, that's possible Either way,
1: we're not going down happy rabbit holes with this. <laughs> yeah. Either way it, yeah no it's it's very dark. It has a lot of just like we like we've been talking about there are huge ramifications for everything that happened on Camino and in these episodes and even with what I am now presuming now that Camino's gone, spoiler alert, the death of Lama Sue like like ramparts just straight up. we don't need you anymore Deuces. And it's just like, oh, okay, we really, they really are bound and determined to wipe every single bit of the Republic off the face of the galaxy and to hell with whoever gets in their way.
0: Yeah. I mean, like we haven't talked about it much so far, but like I love the little subplot that we get with the Kaminoans throughout the season Mm -hmm. of the ways that they are kind of trying to undermine The Empire, and they're trying to basically serve their own agenda of continuing the clone program. The way that Lama Sue and Nalase are kind of undermining each other. Oh my God, yes. Where it's like Lama Sue is paying Cad Bane to get Omega to bring her back to Kamino, and then Nalase is paying Fennec Shan to keep Omega from Cad Bane. Oh my God, yes. and, yeah, like, the way that they sort of hatch this plan to basically escape with all the essential personnel and try to get clients elsewhere, and then they end up getting caught. I have, I wrote in my notes here that, like, the Kaminoans and Bad Batch, and just in general in the prequels, like, they're one of the great examples of fuck around and find out in Star Wars.
1: <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Yeah. <laughs> yes.
0: But, yeah, oh you know, R.I.P. Tawnwee and... Probably R.I.P. One.
1: Yeah, R.I.P. to the O.G.s, man. Exactly. Twenty years of this, and they gone.
0: Yeah, and then you know, moving there back into the season finale, and you know, to revisit that conversation and return to Camino with Crosshair and Hunter, where they'd been sort of operating up to that point and throughout that episode under the assumption that Crosshair was being controlled by his inhibitor chip. Mm-hmm. And they felt like, well, like he's not, he's not being himself. This is just the empire having messed with his brain and sort of turning him into this drone essentially. And he ends up revealing that he had actually had his chip removed a while ago. Mm -hmm. And that we sort of have this revelation that he's fighting for the empire because he believes in it. Mm -hmm. And like, there were a lot of people who were sort of thinking that that's the direction that it was going to go in either something like that or, you know, a a lot of the predictions I saw were something like, Oh, they're going to like, they're going to get him. They're going to remove his chip, but then he's going to be like, no, I'm going to stick with the empire. Mm -hmm. And ultimately I do like that. They went in this direction because, you know, it gets back to something we were talking about a little bit earlier about like, why do like, why would people willingly choose to be a part of this? Mm -hmm. And there's that great line from him where he tells them, you all are meant for more than drifting through the galaxy. It's time to stop running, join the empire and you will have purpose again. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And And, that, and that line is so good because like, we've been talking about this whole time, the batch really doesn't have a solid purpose yet. Like outside of being soldiers, like, yeah, like their dad's slash brothers to Omega and yeah, they run Aaron, they run errands basically for Sid, but like, why like why should they matter in the greater scheme of things in the galaxy do they matter in the greater scheme of things and right now that answer outside of us as viewers watching the show is no they don't have a purpose it's very unclear as to what what they want to be as a unit and as individuals and I, I mean, Jen, uh, the interview that came out with Jennifer uh, Corbett and Brad Rao, the two showrunners on it, I think really touched on that and how it's going to be further explored. And I think this almost plays into like the theme of darkness in regards to free will. Like, yeah, you have a choice, but like, what are you going to do with it? And something that made me excited when I read this interview is, is that we will be exploring more of this And now that the clone wars have officially ended and then we're moving into the reign of the empire, because we've talked about clones like Hauser, Gregor and Rex who are actively working against what they know to be wrong. And then you've got Crosshair and these other clones who work for the empire, whether willingly or unwillingly. And for those who work willingly, like it's, it's that matter of, okay, you've got free will, but like, what are you doing with it? And I think that is, an interesting question when it comes to not only crosshair, but to the clones as a whole, because like we've said, like they are completely identical in how they look, maybe haircut stuff different, but genetically they're all the same, but we have this individuality. And as we move further and further into this era of the empire, we're losing that individuality. We're getting that homogeny and monochromatic look. And it's, I don't know. It's it's such a big theme. To tackle, but like you said, we're going small to go big, and the batch is going to be kind of our lynch point for that exploration. And I'm, I'm so excited about that because it is—it's such a big and complicated subject. It's almost impossible to know where to start.
0: Yeah, exactly. And yeah, I'm totally looking forward to the show getting more into these things about like clone agency and the choices they're making, and you know. Why are they serving the interests that they're serving? Mm-hmm. And of course, that episode ends, that first part of the season finale ends with the destruction of Topoka City. And this was for me, and this is for a lot of people in the reaction to that episode. Like that really, that scene really hit something deep. <sighs> I think for a lot of people. Mm-hmm. And I know that over the course of the first season and I myself thought that this was where the show was going to go. A lot of people wanted to see a clone rebellion a lot. What you get in like the OG battlefront game. Mm -hmm. Personally, I like what we got a lot more. I think it's much darker. I think it's much more insidious. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, what we see not just in that moment, but everything that kind of precedes it, like all the stuff that we talked about in war mantle with the evacuation of Camino Is that we get to see that the Empire in this moment is powerful enough not just to inflict mass death and destruction, which we know they can do, but also basically to disappear an entire army. Mm -hmm. To basically take millions, tens of millions, we don't know exactly, of troops and just basically send them off somewhere Mm -hmm. and then just wipe out... All physical evidence of their existence, and like in some ways, like that's a different kind of power. Yeah, that's
1: yeah, that's the power of fear almost. And it almost. And now that I just thought of it, I love I love this quote from George Lucas, and we all overuse it. It's like poetry; it rhymes. We started Mm we we learned about Camino twenty years ago in Attack of the Clones, which, dear God, I can't believe it's been that long. (laughs) It makes me feel so old but we learned about it simply by accident because to quote obi-wan it doesn't exist it didn't exist Mm. and now 20 years later with this destruction it exists no longer for real this time and it's it's heartbreaking and it's and like you said it is this terrifying power that this empire holds that they can with just a simple command. You may fire when ready. They can obliterate entire worlds and people. And I used this quote earlier this week when we were t- when I was talking to uh, one of my co-hosts, Meg from Followers of the Force. It pulls back from a line from Rebels where Sabine was like, "The Empire wanted to destroy worlds, so they did. They destroyed mine." And in this case, it was the Bad Batch in Omega's world. It was the clones' mm-hmm. world. It was the only home they'd ever known.
0: Yeah, those shots that we get, uh, like the, the cutaway shots of like the empty tubes and like the empty cafeteria and all of that, like all of it is gone.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah, it's just such a powerful shot. And then I even think about like in the f- subsequent episode, like immediately after, you get that shot on the bridge of the Star Destroyer with the Rampart where you get like the one... Reg, who's like still there. Oh. And he's basically like talking about the structure in the city. I'm like, you can see that he's like broken up. About oh my him. God. Like you can hear that he
1: is. he is. And it was just like, Oh my God, is this, is, is this the beginning of the crack? Like that needs that needed to be pushed in for these clones to be like, Oh my God, what am I doing? Or what has happened? I think, and this is just me. I think this is the moment where things became personal for Mm. the Bad Batch and to the extent I think some clones in general like maybe that Reg or maybe Hauser hears about it on Ryloth and it just hits home even more for him but yeah I think this is the moment I think this is a tipping point for the Empire and I think it for the Empire and the Bad Batch as a whole where they're like yes we wiped out all traces of the Republic with the destruction of Kamino and its clone army But it also started something else, which I think is just completely ironic because the Empire constantly gets itself into this situation where it's like, well, damn, we meant to destroy things, but look what happened. There's a revolution. (laughs) Where did we go wrong?
0: Right, right.
1: So uh, that's just me personally kind of thinking about it. And it's because of that moment, like you said, on Rampart's bridge where there's this one clone who just... It's this wreck. We have no idea what his name is, no idea anything about him, but he sounds so broken. And you're just like, oh, this really happened, didn't it?
0: (laughs) Right. Yeah. And even like that final scene in the season finale, when they're standing on the platform and they look out to the, basically the smoldering ruins kind of on the, on the waterline is just, yeah, it's sort of like you were saying about like, this being the punctuation point for this period Mm -hmm. and yeah, a sort of like a very much a kind of turning point and yeah, it could, we could very well look back, you know, as the show develops and see that as a kind of turning point for the characters themselves and for their kind of motivations. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that is sort of, that's the first season in kind of a big, broad strokes. (sighs) And, you know, as we've talked about, and as you sort of mentioned just now, like there are a lot of pieces that it has kind of set in place and sort of it's now left itself the opportunities to go in many different directions. And so sort of to that end, I kind of wanted to close up the discussion by talking a little bit about some of our thoughts, some maybe our wish list for the next season that we get next year, like some of the things that maybe we would like to see explored, maybe characters that we want to see, And so on. So do you have any of those? Oh, absolutely. I have a Christmas list. It's awesome.
1: (laughs) And like, I don't even need it all to happen like next season. I just need it to happen at some point Mm -hmm. in time. And I will be fine with it. (laughs) Because as we know, Star Wars Animation likes to play the long game. So I've learned to be patient or at least try to be. My impatience does come out every now and again, though. But yeah, I think something that we had discussed earlier was I, I really like a little bit more growth character growth or at least exploration for both tech and echo i i really i like those characters i like them within the context of the batch but they haven't stood out to me as individuals on their own whereas like hunter wrecker and crosshair really have gotten those moments so i mean i really like that for them and i i I think we're gonna get it i'm just and i'm curious as to see how it's gonna happen i want to see crosshair i want to see this whole empire thing now that Camino's gone, now that he's had this confrontation with his brothers. I really hope somebody came and picked him up for God's sakes. Like, I don't, I don't know why he thinks somebody would come after they've basically destroyed an entire planet, but you know what? We're just going to let that happen and just let time move as it does in Star Wars. But yeah, I I, I want to see, I'd love to see kind of a almost callous type episode where maybe like he doesn't change his mind, but I want to see what makes him want to stay with the empire. Like what makes him feel special there outside of, Oh, you got to lead this squad. Like what happens there that he's like, yes, this is my decision and my choice. Or maybe he starts coming around to a different conclusion um, of maybe this, maybe Hunter was right, but I don't want to admit that I'm right. I'm wrong to him, so I'm gonna go off on my own. So yeah, I'd I'd really I really want to see more of his character exploration. But yeah, I'd I'd really like to see that. I want to know where Commander Wolf is because he's that last little <laughs> rebels triad we need. And I'm like, where are you? What is happening? Please tell me. And then I need a gonky and azi episode now. <laughs> Because ACI is now part of the bad batch. This is that's my yeah. stupid wish list. Like if that one doesn't happen, I'll be fine. But Konki and ACI, like come on, there is an episode waiting to be written there.
0: Yeah, absolutely, get Clink in there. Oh which, my god, and Clink. There you go. <laughs> yeah, that is. I will. I will watch that over and over.
1: <laughs> Hands down, we'll watch that episode a million times. Yeah, but no.
0: Uh,
1: I'm curious. What's
0: yours? But- um, yeah, so I got a couple that I'm kind of interested in. Again, sort of like you were saying, I don't know that all of this will necessarily get done in season two, but I would at least like to get it explored at some point for however long this show is mm-hmm. going to be on. First and foremost, I think this is like one of the big ones coming out of this first season, which is that we still don't really know what Omega's deal is. Mm-hmm. We get that cut line where he says like, the Kamino ones don't create without a purpose. What's hers? So, And we learn that she is basically this pure copy of Django Fett, unlike all the other clones who are various modifications. So there's these notions that she's in some ways special, that she was, again, created for some reason, but we don't as yet know what that is. Mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that in season two, we will get some more insights into that, even if we don't necessarily get the whole story there. Mm-hmm. That last scene that we get in Camino Lost with Nala Se, where she is brought to basically the secret Imperial cloning facility, we have to assume... Mm-hmm. And we get to him that, like, you know, she's now going to be used for all of these various, you know, machinations. Does it make, like, I don't know how likely this is, but I did right here in my notes, like, Pershing cameo, oh question Oh, my mark?
1: God, yes. Baby, I want baby Pershing in big glasses yes, with
0: well, like, tiny yes, uniforms. <laughs> no, it has to be the same size glasses. Oh, my God,
1: yes. So, no, I did have that like, thought as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, clearly they are setting up some sort of through line that's going to run into Mandalorian and then potentially beyond. So I thought, will we get to see him in some capacity? Mm -hmm. More potential ties to the early rebellion. I think that's something I would like to see because we've already gotten this, already gotten the reach outs with whether you're talking about the Martez sisters or with Rex. Mm -hmm. So getting to maybe see them, you know, even if they're not necessarily getting like roped into the cause, but like them kind of intersecting here and there, kind of on the outside borders of this growing movement. Mm-hmm. This is another wishes item. Omega needs her own armor.
1: Oh my God. Yes. That child needs to be protected.
0: <laughs> yes. We, she, she needs to become a full and proper bad batcher and get her own little armor.
1: I, w- I, wonder, if she, I wonder if they'll pull like a Clone Wars where like a season starts and all of a sudden, like, like we saw with Ahsoka, she just suddenly has this new outfit with no explanation. And you're like, okay, this is what's happening. I don't know how it happened, but here it is.
0: (laughs) Yeah. I would love, I mean, like Echo, you know, goes to, you know, getting his own armor. Mm -hmm. And so I think, you know, Omega, she also deserves, you know, if she's going to become, you know, a full, full and equal member of the bad batch, she should have her own armor. She
1: does. She needs her own armor, needs to be protected.
0: Yes. (laughs) And, you know, the last item that I have on here is this is one. Again, I don't know how likely this is, although I think like by the fact that like we got the name drop, I think makes it more likely. And I think it would serve the story really well, which is Boba. Yes. I think like getting the line about like Alpha and Omega, like I I just okay. feel like I, I don't feel like you, you drop that <laughs> line and do nothing. With
1: yeah, it. you don't. yeah, there is a purpose here. Star Wars, come on, like, let's let's use it. Can I tell you my big my big brain theory on something that I would I would love to happen? I need Crosshair to leave the Empire, but Boba Fett picks him up, (laughs) and they just and Crosshair's just like, oh my god, I'm stuck with this kid. But Boba Fett's like, I'm in charge. Be quiet and listen to me. Like, do you know
0: how much I would would love (laughs) this?
1: Like, Crosshair sets out on his own as like a bounty hunter, but Boba Fett picks him up. Like, I need this so badly
0: <laughs> absolutely oh my god yes please
1: <laughs> so happy. oh that's probably not gonna happen though because star wars is tragedy
0: yeah oh my god but yeah i do want to see because again like if they're gonna go on these mm-hmm. you know if they're gonna keep exploring this idea about like the clones and you know what are they gonna be now that they're not soldiers and, you know, what's their identity and so on. Like, Boba is just this, like, is, like, the elephant in the room. He is.
1: Do you think we're gonna get a Bad Batch reference in the Book of Boba Fett? Or do you think they're gonna kind of hold off on that? I'm, I'm curious, just cause...
0: Yeah, I've been thinking about that because I've seen, you know, a lot of people speculating on like, whether we're gonna get Omega in the bat in Book of Boba Fett. Mm-hmm. I'm sort of of two minds of it. Uh, At the moment, like on the one hand, I look back to like last year where we got Clone Wars season seven and then we got Mando season two. And like, even though it wasn't the case that like they were like one was a direct continuation of the other story. There was stuff feeding from one into the other in terms of characters and kind of callbacks and all Mm -hmm. that. And so it makes me think that like the fact that we're getting. Bad Batch in the first half of the year and then book of Boba Fett in the second half of the year. Just that the way that that timing makes me think that like, there's going to be some sort of, even if it's not like characters, you know, even that directly, there's going to be some sort of thematic hearkening back. There's like something tying them together. Mm -hmm. Like, I think it's more than coincidence that these are both coming out in the same year Mm -hmm. on the flip side. Like the thing that's cutting against like, particularly, let's say like an Omega appearance which again, some people have thought about is like my one thought about that was like, does that give her too much plot armor for bad batch?
1: Right. Like it gives her too much safety of like, okay, so she has to make it out of this.
0: Yeah. Now on the one hand, like that hasn't stopped star Wars in the past. Like right. siege of Man- like siege of Mandalore still like gives you like giant feels, even though you know exactly what happens to Rex and Ahsoka. Mm-hmm. So like they could still, you know, they're still like, they're creative enough to like work around it in that mm-hmm. way. But, yeah, I am something that like if she does like somehow show up or gets alluded to, then yeah, like the potential for you to like put her in any kind of peril or threaten bad batch gets limited a lot mm-hmm. yeah. if you know that she's showing up in Java's palace in whatever year yeah
1: thirty plus years down the road,
0: yeah, so I don't know, yeah, so I'm sort of on the fence in that regard i don't I think like. The likelihood of seeing actual characters, I think, is low, but I think the likelihood that there's going to be some sort of homages or nods in some way to it, I think, is there. Just, again, and I'm basing that entirely just off the coincidence of the time. Right, 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 right. But, yeah, that is – that's the Bad Batch so far, anyway. That was a great conversation. Oh my god,
1: absolutely. I can't believe, how long have we been talking for We've almost two hours. Oh my god, yes. I could keep going for more hours, but I think yes. I don't think anybody else besides us would listen to
0: it. But yeah, that was yeah, that was a lot of fun. Oh my god, and Yeah, I really enjoy just like as so often happens when I have guests on, like you've given me like a bunch of things that I like I never would have thought about or considered. <sighs> awesome in the context of like looking at the show. So I am very appreciative for that.
1: Well, I'm just appreciative that you had me on. Like it was such a delight to get to talk to you about this. And it was, it was good. I love bouncing ideas and theories off of everybody and just seeing how, just how everybody interprets Star Wars in their own way. Like nobody's like everybody's life experience is different. So why should Star Wars be any different? That's, that's why it's there. It's a myth. It's a retelling. Like we're here We're here to take from it what we can and hopefully learn from it as well.
0: Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So by way of wrapping up the episode, I got two things that I want you to do. First off, recommend for the listeners a piece of Star Wars media for them to check out. That could be movie, show, books, comics, anything.
1: (sighs) I have two. One is a personal one. So if you ever, if you want to jump on this clone train with me and understand why I feel the way I do, I highly recommend The Republic Commando Books by Karen Travis. They are no longer canon, but they are a wonderful read if you would like to feel all the feels about Mandalorians, clones, and found families. It is a fantastic four or five book series read. Unfortunately, it was never finished, but that was that. And then I know everybody who probably listens to this Is already on this train, but The High Republic is just such Mm. a delight. Like, from everything from the comics to the books to just the author's social media presence has been just this to not be too ironic or too on the nose, this beacon of light in the Mm. fandom. And I love it so much. It is, they're truly, it's truly a new era of Star Wars storytelling. And I absolutely love it so
0: all right yeah I like those recommendations especially the second one because the next episode is high republic theme yes! that, that is a that is a great segue there <laughs>
1: go read him go read him <laughs> before you listen y'all
0: yes and second uh plug your stuff where can people find you
1: all right so you can find me as we said earlier at the beginning, as one-seventh of followers of The Force, we have new episodes every Monday, and we have a happy hour every Saturday at 7 p.m. Eastern. So come hang out, say hi, tell me whether or not you agree with my Bad Batch opinions or not, or we can just talk about whatever because our conversations tend to ramble. If you want to talk to me personally, you can find me on Twitter or Instagram at Beskar underscore Kyber15 on both accounts. I talk a lot of Star Wars, clones, Bad Batch, basically anything that I'm interested in at the time. So come hang out, say hi, and yeah.
0: All right, fantastic. Thank you again, Hannah, for coming on the show and talking with me.
1: Thank you so much for having me, Devor. It was so much fun.
0: It totally was. (laughs) So what to expect on the next episode? Episode 25 will drop on September 6th. And for that one, I'll be talking about the High Republic. But not only that, I'll also be talking about America's Gilded Age, which ran roughly from the 1870s to the 1890s. As I've been making my way through the various books that have been published so far this year, I've started noticing a lot of parallels between this new era of Star Wars and this particular period in American history. And in the next episode, I want to explore some of those. I'm super, super excited about this one, so do make sure to tune in. Until then, make sure you're subscribed to the show. Please rate and review the show if you're able to do so. If you're not already following the show on Twitter, you can do so at a larger view pod. You can also follow me on Twitter at Demondum. And until next time, look for The Force, and you will always find me.